Hello and welcome to Industrial Automation It Doesn't Have To. This is Brandon Ellis, your host. And normally I would say Beth Elliott, our marketing coordinator, but Beth is taking a week off. So our second episode of 2021 and she's taking a, a little bit of R&R time. So uh, that gives way to an empty seat, but I don't like empty seats. So I am going to um, introduce our guest, and he actually uh, has a lot to add to our topic today. But that special guest is Mr. Matthew Stuckey. Hello, Matthew. Hey, how are you? Good, good. So, welcome to the prime time. Absolutely. Industrial Automation doesn't have to podcast. Let's see. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, nevertheless... Um, Tell us a little bit about, give me a quick introduction, give the world a quick introduction about you. Absolutely. A uh, long-time listener, first-time caller here. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, was, <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually enrolled over at the University of Tennessee. I did go some... Vols. Yeah, go Vols. I did an internship over the summer here and have been working on and off, getting some good experience and seeing what Elitech has to offer. So I'm really excited to be in here and be talking about what we're talking about today. Well, Matthew is an in, was a summer intern for us and... We talked him into sticking around. He's really been doing a great job for us, so I'm glad you're here. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. So today's topic, industrial automation, it doesn't have to be machined, is uh, the, the the title of today's uh, topic. And what does that mean? That means additive manufacturing. Now, for some, that's called 3D printing, mm -hmm. but we're going to talk a little bit about how additive manufacturing is a bit more than just 3D printing. Mm -hmm. But... 3D printing and, in general, additive manufacturing uh, has been around how long? Uh, you know, they started stuff in the late 80s, early 90s, but it's been steadily growing, and it's finally getting to that point where a lot of people are having their own printers in their house, and it's kind of crazy that you can take something right off the internet and put it straight in your home in, like, two hours. Right, right. And so, if you can't tell, Matthew's got a lot of experience with additive manufacturing. He's been doing that. He's been and did you say you were mechanical engineering? Yep, yeah, mechanical engineering. So uh, just want to make sure it got across. So in mechanical engineering over there, he is uh, very involved at the university uh, with uh, with a lot of additive stuff. And so uh, I've enjoyed uh, actually learning um, from him and from others that are, are very much involved with this. You know, one of the folks that, that I learned a ton from is the uh, first robotics group over at Halls mm. High School. And we, we are, of course, sponsor them, mm -hmm. uh, being members of, of the Halls Fountain City, Knoxville community here. Uh, but they do a lot of 3D printing. But um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things, and, and they certainly do some of that. So, so that said, additive manufacturing... So I'll quiz you. Yeah, go for it. So you're the guest. Uh, you're 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 sitting in Beth's chair. Mm -hmm. uh, and so one of the themes of 2021 is that Beth has always kind of interviewed me in 2020. So in 2021, last our last podcast, uh, she had done a lot of research on an FDA food um, rule or guideline that's coming. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I kind of changed roles and I became the interviewer and she became the expert. And so today uh, you and I will have a quick discussion, but uh, I'm going to quiz you and see, test your knowledge. Right on. And if you don't know the answer, we'll make fun of you. So that's what you get. <laughs> so, um, so, so the definition for, for those that aren't, aren't familiar with additive manufacturing, do you know it? Yeah, absolutely. So 
The main thing about additive manufacturing is it's a rapid prototyping method. It's something you can take a 3D model and get it onto an actual physical existence in a matter of hours. Uh, it's kind of revolutionary. It allows for a lot of manufacturing of things that at one time would have cost a lot of money for one-off molding and such. Mm-hmm. You can have a plastic part in your house, in your company, in a matter of hours. Yeah, so it's and then you can print stuff that you well. So why do we do it? Why do we use it? Well, you know, traditionally you have what we now that we have additive manufacturing, we call it subtractive manufacturing. Um, before that, it was just machining, machining, removing uh, material. That's why it's subtractive, right? Yeah. Um, and now that there's a lot of great things. People have been doing it for millennia of machining, removing material. You can make almost anything you can think of. But with additive manufacturing, you take it a different direction. You build it from the ground up. There's mm-hmm. a lot less limitations. Your tooling costs, near nothing. Your design costs decrease drastically. You don't have tool pathing, stuff like that. And it's just a matter of with a little bit of plastic and a hope and a dream, you can have something usable and you can actually make a profit off of it, if not something that is at the same level of quality, if not better, than a subtracted manufacturing method would cause. And sometimes the subtractive uh, method is with the part that you're coming out with is basically an, an impossibility. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes we print things that you just, I mean, if you could machine them, but they would be very, very, very expensive. Very labor not, intensive. Yeah. If not, if not just impossible to machine. Mm-hmm. And so that's the cool thing about uh, additive manufacturing is it kind of gives an, uh, gives open to a new dimension. Right. And so we think about those dimensions a lot when it comes into the engineering side of things, uh, not just the materials, not not just the methods, both of which I want us to discuss, but also some of the things that you can do. Mm-hmm. I know for me personally, over the last few years, as we've we've explored it, uh, I tell people that I've uh, I have been a very slow adopter to additive manufacturing because I just wasn't sure where it would fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I. I see some of this stuff. You can print, uh, 3D print, just PLA print, get off the internet kind of stuff where you can print. You can actually 3D print chain. Yeah. That's an example or, or you know, some type of a wheel inside of a, uh, a bearing. Well, you know, you could machine that. Right. But that would, that would be awful to try to machine. But printing it, not so much. Yeah. And a lot of people struggle with that. It's like, well... Why would I go towards something with additive? Because it's something, it's for knickknacks. It's for things that you're not going right. to use. It's the it's the little toys you get off the internet. But the, the strides they've taken in the technology here lately have been amazing. There's been some really, really interesting industrial applications. And with more and more industrial equipment hitting the market, it's become a big, big thing. Perfect. Well, and that's what I want to talk about. So some of the methods mm-hmm. of additive manufacturing. Now, I said earlier that uh, additive manufacturing, a lot of people just blankly refer to as 3D printing, but it's not. Yeah, there's uh, a lot to it. So let's let's kind of roll through some of the different, uh, what I'll call methods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then that comes, that does come down to materials. Right. So some of the methods are limited to mm-hmm. to metal. Right. And there is additive manufacturing of metal. There is. And people, a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of people think it's outside of their reach, but it's something that's constantly growing. Uh, being from Knoxville and from this area, you know, we've got Oak Ridge doing research with stuff like that all day, every day. Right. And there's there's two main methods that I've seen in my time at the university that are really common. 
or have almost been perfected. Um, and that's the centering type mm-hmm. and the actual more of a welding traditional type of metal manufacturing. Okay. So this is where I got to be Beth for a second. Yeah. So channeling Beth. So Beth, if you're listening, I hope you're proud. Um, so centering, that's what's that? It's, that's S-I-N-T-E-R-I-N-G. Uh, maybe a C, maybe an is S. I'm C? not sure. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm we're pre- engineers. We're not oh, English yeah. majors. Now I'm pretty sure that it's that it's S. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but nevertheless, um, I think it is. If I'm not, if I'm wrong, sorry. The only thing that makes me want to say C is cinder block, but I don't know. I feel like that's with a D and not a T. We'll, well see. Anyway. Yeah. Nevertheless. Um, <laughs> so centering. So tell us a little bit about what centering is. Yeah. So a traditional centering 3D printing machine will be have a lot of metal powder. It'll drag a layer of metal powder out, use a high-powered laser, bring that metal powder up to a melting point, and create an actual 3D object, blow all that off, and do it again. Centering with an S. Ah, centering with an S. Yeah, I thought it was. So so as far as your C. (laughs) As far as my S. Yeah. Thank you. There we go. All right, so centering. So, So again... Uh, I've seen those those mm-hmm. systems, and and they've actually been around probably longer than a lot of the plastic they have. 3D printers that we see, the hobby printers, because they're expensive. Yeah, they're they're not exactly available on a small scale. Yeah, yeah. you're not gonna you're not probably gonna get one off of Amazon. No. And so again, the concept is kind of a powdered metal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you pull the powdered metal across, and of course, powdered metal. I actually had my first experience with powdered metal back in nineteen. Probably 1996 or 97, so quite a few years yeah. ago, uh, we were doing uh, a heating system, actually a microwave-based heating system for a company, and I was doing the motion systems for it, but they were heating up uh, powdered metal uh, and, and driving it you know, with an auger. They were feeding it in, batching it, and then pressing it into a green state, mm-hmm. and then you heat it. And they were heating it in that case. Uh, they're working with heating it with microwaves because it's faster mm-hmm. uh, and going from there. And so once you heat it, the powdered metal, the individual kernels, I guess you would say, <laughs> or granules, uh, actually reach, like you said, ne- near the melting point. Right. And then fuse. And they fuse. That's right. Uh-huh. And so a large, large, large portion of powdered metal parts are used today. Yeah. If you have ever used a hand drill. Most yeah. of those pieces and parts in the gearbox, the assembly in there, gears and stuff. centered yeah. metal gears, stuff like that. Um, and so now with centering systems, you, you can actually drag that across, take, mm-hmm. I guess, did you say a laser? Usually a high-powered laser, and uh, it comes down and lasers it out and then sweeps it back off. And, and of course, what that's doing is the laser is precise, mm-hmm. and it's applying high temperature at certain points. And exactly. so, And, of course, then it not quite to melting. We don't want it to melt because right. then it'll flow away. And so the metal melts it, it enough to, to bond, and that's called sintering. So that's an additive. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned the welding. Yeah, so a lot of research has been going into a more, if you're familiar with welding, more of a MIG approach where you actually feed a, a wire, electrify it, and it melts into a, a puddle. It's kind of the same concept as like your traditional 3D printer where you do actual layup It'll trace out a pattern laying metal all mm-hmm. the way around, start, go up a little bit, and go around again, on and on and on and on until you have something built up out of metal. And the problem that I've seen with, with that is, of course, 
a lot of the times they're doing robotic welding, which our, exactly. our, our, remember we do robots and, <laughs> and, uh, welding is certainly one of the things that they can do. But, but when I'm welding, MIG welding by hand, it's not much different than some of the stuff that we see there and that it actually looks better, but, uh, still doesn't look great. looks like the apple stack cakes at, at the apple barn in Superville, yeah. Tennessee. You should go there and try them. But that's not th- metal. That's actually apple cakes, and so you can eat it. <laughs> the metal, though, it doesn't look... Yeah, sometimes the surface finishes on those parts are not the best, and you usually have to go back and do some kind of finishing process. you got to machine it. And uh, then there's porosity problems. Yeah, that you can encounter. Even with traditional welding, you know, you never know what's inside until you get in there. And then... Until you cut it. Until you cut it. And then yeah. you could be going through your finishing process, and you uncover a bunch of issue. Right. So that is something they've been struggling with, but there's a lot of a lot of research going in on that. Another downside of some of the metal types is there's usually a sacrificial plate. Uh, you can't just spawn that metal in thin air. So yeah. you got to start somewhere, and a lot of times that's no big deal. You end up with a nice flat ba- base plate to your part, but you are using you know something that can take the heat of being repeatedly welded yeah. or lasered. So. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So that's that's where the metal the the metal type right. things come into play. Any any other metal base that you can think of? Well, you know, and there is some technology in additive manufacturing with the plastics side of things, where you can actually integrate metal into the filaments and print that. But you're only as strong as your weakest link. So mm. if you're putting a metal type filament down, yes, it's going to have metal in it. It might polish up to be beautiful, but you've still got plastic in there somewhere. Yeah. So it's kind of like you got to balance the pros and cons right, of that. Right, right. So let's talk about – that's a good segue. Let's talk about the plastics and so some of the some of the means of, of, of methods right. of, of dealing with additive with plastics. Yeah, two common ones right now that are out there for kind of the home gamer is F, triple F fused filament fabrication, also known as FDM which is the fused deposition modeling. That's where you're going to have kind of the same idea as the MIG stuff. It's coming in, it's laying down a layer, moving up microscopically, laying down another layer, building up from the base plate. That's um, pretty common among most That's your traditional, right? Yeah, yeah, traditional plastic printing. So that's where you're going to see stuff like your PLA, your PETG, your ABS plastics that are more commonplace that are pretty easy to work with depending on your setup. And that... Yields good parts for a lot of applications, and the big thing is it's finally getting to a point where it's almost affordable for almost everybody to be in it. Now, that's not to say that industrially you're going to be pushing out the best parts in the world, but you can have something printing in your own home. Well, we've talked about how, you know, actually, let me take a step backwards. So you mentioned you mentioned Oak Ridge National Lab and their additive manufacturing yeah. uh, laboratory over there. And uh, that's a really great thing. And they're doing some, some really awesome things over there. Uh, and, and we've talked with them on, on a number of occasions and uh, excited about that. But one of the things that I ask, because again, mm-hmm. I'm a slow adopter. And so it was about a year ago I asked, why? Why, why are, what's, what, what is so appealing mm-hmm. about additive manufacturing? Because we hear a lot, we've heard a lot about additive manufacturing, not mm-hmm. just, not just in the hobby, hobby areas and not just in the educational areas, but, but we're hearing 
I'm hearing more about it and have for the last few years uh, in manufacturing. And so I asked the why. Why is, why is it so important? What do you all say? And what they told me was the concept is they see it as a means to bring about affordable manufacturing mm-hmm. among small and small to medium-sized businesses and industries. Right. So it allows companies, smaller manufacturers, to get in the game, so mm-hmm. to speak. And so the question then comes down to what are the what are the materials that they're going to be dealing with? Right. So let's talk a little bit about those materials uh, within, well, first of all, within metal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can do a lot of different steels and different, if you can powder it, you can laser it a lot of the times, but mm-hmm. you know, they are doing some stuff now with some tool steels even that you will yield pretty good, you know, strong parts that print at ridiculous angles and things you wouldn't even think are possible out of a high grade steel, like an A2 or a D2. A2 and D2 being tool steels. Yeah. And so we're very familiar with tool steels. I am at least we use those a lot mm-hmm. in just machining them. Uh, for hardened tooling and things of that nature, tooling that's gonna be hardened. Yeah. Or I use D. I like D two. Uh, our machinists don't like that. I like D two. They say it's <laughs> it's not happy to to machine, but uh, but D two has a high chromium yeah. uh, content, so it won't rust right. uh, as as you know, readily as as standard cold roll steel and things of that nature. And so I'm getting off into materials. Sorry. There's a lot of weeds to get into with materials. Absolutely. And and so within metals, you know, we're talking about, we talked about the MIG welding. And so mm-hmm. the type of wire that you're putting down, that kind of thing. And that could be, I assume, they could do it in. Yeah, any cold rolled steel. You know, like your standard MIG wire, what is it, ER78 or something like that. That's just a standard steel. You can lay that down all day long. But you can also MIG aluminum. Yeah, you can. Um, and I'd... That's something I haven't really seen, not to say it can't be done. I'm sure it can. But aluminum is something that really likes to be clean when you weld it. And with a robotic work cell, I think that might be a challenge is how are you keeping that metal clean while you're welding? That's true. Um, Well, and I'm just familiar with, of course, all the aluminum welding that we do mm -hmm. is TIG, uh, which is different than the... I I don't see how you would do TIG additive yeah i've seen some adaptions for uh mig torches for aluminum right. wire but but it's still a mig you're still electrifying the, right. the filament and things of that nature and so it's a little bit different process so so we might i, I haven't seen that either i haven't either I, i've seen just standard i guess it's standard coal roll or whatever mm-hmm. mig wire typically is right so that's where the metals are uh and then the other types of metals you talked about a2 and d2 yeah which actually are becoming more Common, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, common, yeah, I common. Guess. Uh, as far as printing, and I'm talking about uh, the uh, multi-layer high. What'd you call it? <laughs> <laughs> so, like with the fused filament yes. fabrications, yes, yeah, yes, yes, stuff there like that. FFF, that's right, triple F. So triple F. Yeah. So that's something you know. There's a lot of research going on and stuff like that. It's it's a really broad horizon, and. There's a lot of money to be made and a lot of research to be done in a lot of those different topics. Okay. Well, and that's, that's what I was getting at. It was the A2 and the D2. So you just like what I'm getting to is just like printing, mm-hmm. similar to printing plastics uh, and different types of plastics, you can now print yeah. steel, specifically A2 and D2. Right. And, and then 
you can even take your centered parts and if you wanted to take them and get them hardened, I, I think that's something you could do as well. So it's getting to the point where like you can get a high quality part out of a 3D printed thing, which a lot of people have had reservations about in the yeah, past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With metal. With metal. Yeah. So that's the point I was wanting to make. So thank you for driving that home. So now let's get over to plastics. And this honestly, I believe, is what more people are, are used to. Mm-hmm. Well, and the good thing about 3D printing with plastics, uh, there's a... So many different thermoplastics out there that react well with heat mm-hmm. will absolutely lay down a beautiful bead and will make a really nice looking part. You know, you start out with the home gamer with like a PLA, which is really susceptible to UV light. It doesn't really like being, it doesn't like being outside in the elements for longer than a few months. It gets brittle, kind of powdery and can break easily. You step that up with ABS, which has the concerns of like, your print smell it off gases a lot. It's ABS. It smells bad. It and always does. The off gassing. Are we deciding that's not? It might be a twinge hazardous. Well, and you always usually with ABS you have to print in an enclosure partially because of the off gassing. And then the other part is it likes the heat. It oh, wants yeah. it hot. So uh, there are some printing with ABS is a little tricky, but it is kind of a step up. It's a nicer plastic. It's more commonplace. So it's it's definitely a material to be looked at. Now you're getting into like your PETG, your plastic polyethylenes. Those print really nice, uh, good quality parts. And that's probably getting towards the top end of what your basic home gamer is going to do. Yeah. But then you get something more, I would, it's not more industrial in nature, but it's just more resilient, stronger, has more beneficial characteristics with like a polycarbonate. You're, you can, you even can print nylon. Um, with carbon fiber and different stuff and like that. And some of the really interesting stuff that I've seen printed is thermoplastic elastomers, which are all flexible, mm-hmm. um, TPE. And that's some things that have some really interesting it uses maybe with dampening or other things like where you need just a little bit of flex in your parts. So there's a lot of interesting materials to fit a lot of different jobs depending on what you're going after. And you talked about a little bit with the nylon having carbon reinforcement. Mm-hmm. And so there's a couple other reinforcing yeah. uh, things. Now, I mainly have seen, I don't know, maybe maybe I've seen fiberglass as a reinforcing item with PLA or plastic types. Right. Of course, nylon, I guess, qualifies as a, yeah, it's, as a plastic, but uh, it's a higher temperature. I think of it as a higher temperature, yeah. a little bit, a little bit, more wear friendly and temperature friendly and UV friendly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's got some desirable characteristics. It's got a little bit of flexibility where it takes a load a little bit better. And um, it really interacts well with either a chopped carbon fiber, which goes into the filament and then you get that added rigidity from the carbon fiber in it, or it plays nice with a continuous carbon fiber as well. Yeah. Now there, the downsides of something like that is yes, the printing temperature increases. You've got a little more wear on your nozzle and stuff like that, and of course, it's more expensive. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. The equipment. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, just to just to stay thorough here, uh, and we've already touched on this, so I'm just going to briefly slide by this. If you're doing metal, mm-hmm. you need a a MIG welding robot for the most part. That's a lot of things you'll see out there, yeah. Yeah. If you're doing the sintering, metal sintering, uh, it's a it's really a, a powdered metal bed uh, with a laser. A high-powered laser, yep. And then they also, you can see some of the laser and light sources in the plastic side of things with something like uh, SLA printing. I think that's stereolithography. 
Ugh, big that's word. where the two that's where the two lasers intersect in the fluid. It's more of a resin and yeah. it, it cures the resin when you shoot it. And because of the heat. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it cures that resin either because of the heat or because of the UV. So whichever one you use. They yield beautiful parts, but it is a little more complicated. There's a little more involved than a traditional 3D printing where you're just tracing out the patterns up and up. Right, right, right. And that's where we get now into the PLA and those type systems. Right, right. Well, starting with the hobby grade stuff. Yeah. uh, And then moving on up to the industrial grade. And we didn't have industrial grades as much in the plastic industry, Mm -hmm. uh, additive industry, I don't think, until probably what – Two or three years ago. Yeah, the, the market's really increasing quickly. You know, you used to have things that were the size of you and me, tall, that printed beautiful parts, but were extremely expensive. And that was what you saw in the industry probably five to five to six years ago. And now they're getting to the point where you can have a beautiful printing part just as good as those rigs five and six years ago were on your desktop. Yeah. Yeah, in an industrial type machine. Yeah, yeah. So... What's the so so you talked a little bit about some of the advantages and disadvantages in terms of the PLA and the sunlight and that kind of yeah. stuff and the the ABS and the the off gassing and and those kind of things but just in general material advantages disadvantages and and let's I mean metal is metal right uh, as far as the advantages or disadvantages of metal there's not much difference with most of and of course we're we're talking to trying to talk speak to 80 85% of the applications out there yes and i would say of most applications the metal type stuff i don't want to say it's new i mean it's been around for a while the the powdered metal we talked about's been around yeah. for a while uh, but it's it just mainly i think because of expense and complexity uh, it's always a constant balancing game how much are you willing to pay mm-hmm. before it's worth going out and getting a mold made yeah Essentially. Or 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 machining it. Right. Yeah. So that's what's great about a PLA. Dirt cheap. Yeah. Prints like anybody can print it. And now we're talking plastics. So it's PLA a plastic. Plastics, yeah. But you know, you're you're when you print PLA, you're willing to say, This might last me a year. Right. Especially in industrial application, it's gonna last even less. So that's where you just have to balance it out is like what am I willing to go in with mm-hmm. and what am I getting out for what I'm paying for? Before it's worth taking it to the next level. That's why it's great for small businesses. The prototyping ability, the one-offs, it's affordable, and it yields something that you can put out on the market. Sure, sure. So, real quickly, some of the the material advantages, disadvantages, attributes, things of that nature. We talked about temperature. Mm -hmm. So, PLA is... PLA, this is the way I've always Mm -hmm. communicated it, the way that I I can understand my Forrest Gump way. Uh, the way Mama would tell it. Uh, well, PLA, if you stick that on the dash of your car on a on a, a you know a ninety eight degree East Tennessee summer day, and go into you know the the, the store, when you come out, it's not going to be the same shape. <laughs> it's um, going to be a puddle, or you know, yeah, it's, it's going to be lopsided or something like that. You know, then a lot of the lower grade plastics will do that. Like I think the pl- the pliable temperature for PLA is sixty five degrees C. Yeah. So. If it's getting, you know, if it's hot. 65 degrees C, what's that in around? What's that, around 120? So, I guess so yeah. tell me a black dash on a truck ain't going to get 120 degrees in East Tennessee on a sunny summer That's day. That's true. Well, it will. <laughs> even a beige, beige yeah. dash will. So, uh, um, yeah, you can absolutely, and if you're doing an industrial application, if you've got any heat production, you're going to be at risk of losing your dimensional accuracy. Right. 
So then we jump up to, and that that honestly, it gets a little bit better with some of the the, yeah. the PT uh, PTG stuff I've yeah. seen. Yeah, um, but it's still pretty close. I mean, and ABS I think is probably of those one of the highest. Yeah, ABS plays nice. It uh it likes it doesn't care necessarily about like you said the elements as much. You know, we use ABS sheets all the time. Uh, it doesn't mind the industrial in- environments, but it is. It's a little more labor intensive to get off the printer. Yeah. So yeah. Um, there's pros and cons with all those lower level ones, and then you start getting into your nylons, your polycarbonates, where you're going to need a high temp nozzle to print that. You're going to need a good, good printer that's precision, you know, mm-hmm. and you're going to be looking at something that's more elevated. Yeah. And so now we're getting into industrial grade equipment. And so if we divide that up into three attributes, temperature capability, mm-hmm. uh, maximum temperatures uh, before they're affected, that's the, yeah. the maximum def- deformation temperatures. Right. And then the stability, mm-hmm. uh, when I call stability, talking about how it reacts to humidity, yeah. to moisture. And and, and then, then lastly, the accuracy. Now, yeah. now of those attributes, and you and uh, Matthew and I were talking a little bit before we started the podcast here, and... Uh, and he brought up a great point, and that is there's these attributes have a place pre-print mm-hmm. and post-print. Yeah. And so pre-print means that when I'm storing the equipment or storing the material, I should say. And so I know nylon yes. absolutely needs to be in a dry box. It loves needs to the be, water. Yeah, it'll soak it up. And if it soaks it up, what happens? It starts to degrade a little bit. You lose some of your dimensional accuracy, and it, it, it traditionally gets a little brittle. Um, it doesn't really like that. So um, it'll also sputter out of the the nozzle. Yes, um, that's the other thing that we've seen. And so, for those of you guys listening that are welders out there, if you've got your little MIG MIG set up with flux core, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about. Flux core meaning that uh, it's a gasless; you don't have to have the sh- the shielding gas. But flux core mm-hmm. splatters. Oh, well, God. if you in, in, if you impregnate plastic with small water molecules and then heat them up, there they go. They're going to turn into steam, and you're going to have a lot of splattering coming out of that that mm-hmm. nozzle, and so it it affects your finish. It does, and you know that's something you've got to really keep an eye on. I've been printing over at UT with the fibers and compo- composites manufacturing facility. We've got some really amazing f- materials like Altum, uh, carbon fiber, Peak, Peck, which are like top of the line plastics they print at 350 degrees celsius it's like you're you're really really pushing the limits of materials there but the the care you have to put into those it's like well this has a stable shelf life if it gets any moisture in it for like a day you're ruined so you got to take care of stuff like that certainly certainly and so then post print Mm -hmm. so post print we talked about pla Yep. Temperature, uh, it it deforms pretty quickly. The UV light hard on hard on that plastic. You know you're going to have discoloration. You're going to have brittleness. So you've got to make sure you're selecting a material that you think. Well, I'm going to put this on a line. What's it going to be exposed to? Mm-hmm. So you got to make sure that it's something that's going to stand up to the test of time. And I think that's why we lean on nylon a lot. You know, people have a good reputation with nylon. They know that it's a durable plastic. Mm-hmm. It's something they they're familiar with. And with our ability to put some chopped carbon fiber in there, it really elevates that to the next level. 
And we've been using nylon for a lot, for a yeah. lot of years, but usually in an injection mold right. type, type platform, things of that nature. And again, Matthew's point that this, one of the, one of the advantages of additive manufacturing, 3D printing in this case is, uh, among plastics mm-hmm. is, is that you, you don't have to have a mold. Right. And by saying have a mold, that's, that means you got to have a mold designed and then machined and, and all the different things. And it needs to be in tolerance and all this kind of stuff. So if you're look, if you're, if you're starting a company and you're going to uh, need to, you know, pay out, uh, you know, 3000 pieces a day, mm-hmm. you need to do probably plastic injection molding. But if you're a manufacturer or an end user and you're curious, will this work? Will this work? That's where additive manufacturing really comes into play. And a lot of times you find out, and we talked about this. I know uh, you're an avid listener to our podcast. So we've talked about it in terms of cybersecurity. I've talked about it in terms of, of, of uh, automating. What would you automate? What you wouldn't? We talked about it with predictive maintenance and KPIs and all these different things. Everything is subjective. Yes. And what we find, what customers find is sometimes when you print it, Mm-hmm. be it nylon, PLA, whatever, um, even ABS, it may be perfect. Yeah. It may be just fine. And so suddenly uh, the cost of getting a mold made, mm-hmm. which can vary from a few hundred dollars to thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars if you don't need the throughput, I mean, you know, that, that's where your ROI comes into play. Yes. It, it takes a long time to print something. It does. Uh, versus once the mold's made, you're making them all day long. That's right. And so these are the trade-offs that I think you alluded mm-hmm. to at the beginning. And so uh, that said, what are some things, this is kind of my, <laughs> this is my soapbox, some things that I'm wishing for. Right. Uh, and and every time I have a con- get to have the opportunity to have a conversation with the guys over at Oak Ridge, I, I always remind them of what I'm wishing for. And this mm-hmm. is what I'm hoping that those really smart PhDs over there and, and all the folks that they work with will come up with. And that's that's basically the ability to print something. And this is counterintuitive, right? So mm-hmm. to print something that can handle a high temperature. Well, if you're going to print it, and it's going to handle a high temperature, then it's going to need to print at a high temperature. Exactly. And so that's one thing that, that's kind of counterintuitive on that, I realize, but I can still wish for it. Yeah. Um, the second thing is is something that's machinable. One of our, our common machine parts, we talked about aluminum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be fantastic if we could 3D print aluminum. And I'm talking about with, with a standard desktop style or nearly desktop style deal. And not have to spend a couple hundred grand on it, on the, on the equipment. Right. But the, also in the plastic side, polycarbonate side, are actually what? It's a, a, if you're calling it by its brand name, it's a Delrin. But it's actually a polyoxymethylene. Yeah. Um, which is, a, you know, very machinable. Either you're working with something like that, if you want a very durable part, maybe an ultra high molecular weight polyethylene for something that's a little more slippy, you know, have some mm-hmm. reduced friction. That just really perform well on on the mill, mm-hmm. and that's something you know that with the infill and the voids in the actual three D printed part that allow you to have a part quickly. You're sacrificing the machinability. Sure, yeah. So that's something that is definitely a drawback. Yeah, and then of course, as far as tool steels go, we mentioned this earlier. It'd be nice to have it be mm-hmm. able to do steels, and not just necessarily tool steels, but steels like aluminum and stuff at a lower cost. Yeah, and but you bring up a good point, and from an engineering standpoint. 
Mm-hmm. One of the things that I had to get my head around a few years ago as we started in down this road with additive manufacturing is I was I had the tendency to put it in the box of a machined part. Yes. Just machining. And and it's a lot different. Subtractive manufacturing and what you end up with in terms of I guess you would call it finite element analysis. This, the, you know, the strengths, the how, how everything ties together. Mm-hmm. And I'm not getting on the micro level of grains and all that kind of stuff, but just in general, if I machine a block into a shape, how that handles the force and when it's going to shear, break, you know, whatever, is a lot different for the same shape, but 3D printed. Yeah, and that's something you really have to consider in your part design is. How am I going to orient orient this part and not have to struggle with layer separation right. or cracking or collapsing of the actual cells in the infill? And that's always going to be something that you can account for, but it's never going to be perfect. Right. You know, once you have a machined part, you've basically got that part. Well, the big difference is one's laminate. Yeah. Uh, laminated mm-hmm. and the other one's not and when i say laminated that is what we're doing when we're doing additive we're adding layer by layer by layer and so we have a a, a, a series of layers or mm-hmm. it's laminated at that point and and you bring up so so in machining and i know you've been around some machining i don't know have you i don't know if i've been around more i've probably been around more machining in my career than than 3d printing you've been around more 3d printing than I have probably. Uh, we do we do that here. We'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. But one of the things is when you're machining a part, deciding how you're going to, you know, have the part oriented when you machine it right. really comes down to the geometry mm-hmm. and maybe the tooling or the type of equipment that your your mill that kind of thing. But in 3D printing, it's the the orientation of machining a part has little to do with the design. Right. You put it how you can cut it. Right. It has to do with the equipment or the cutter, the end mills, things of that nature. But when you're orienting how you're printing your part, that has a lot to do with the design. Yeah. Because yeah. if if your lam if your if your uh, laminates are in the wrong direction or in a shear direction, that part will fail. But if you just rotate it ninety degrees all of a sudden, it may be rock solid. Exactly. And that's, you could talk about 3D printing part design all day long because whether it's finding which way is the best to print for the strength of the part, finding what's best for the support content of the part, what's going to cost the least and the least mm-hmm. amount of time, especially, that's like half of your part design is how can I do this the best way? When, like you said, for traditional machining, it's like, this is what I have to work with. Let's make it work. Right. And and so now all of a sudden when you're printing versus machining, you gotta look at a hole differently. Yeah. Because in a in a in a block of plastic or metal, I can make a hole fairly easily. Mm-hmm. And pretty much in any orientation. Uh, but in 3D printing, you've got to support the arch if you're printing on, you know, if it's on its side yeah. or you got to build up around it or something like that. Anything, any edge that overhangs, those kind of stuff. So we refer to those as, as supports mm-hmm. support, and supports require material. And of course, with most systems, you can decide yes or no with supports. But if you decide no, a lot of times you end up with bird's nests. <laughs> yeah. And so, and that's because the, the material falls away. It's kind of like trying to ice a cake, you know, put icing on a cake 
well, the icing's still hot, and you're trying to, mm-hmm. you know, create an, an arch. And, and there's no cake under you. <laughs> there's no cake under you. That's right. And so it's going to fall away. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, it's very difficult to print in midair. You know, it's it's near impossible. So when you're designing your parts, you're thinking, how can I maximize the strength of this without sacrificing any dimensional accuracy? Think of a Cartesian robot system. Robots can do circles in the X, Y plane all day, but as soon as you get into the Z plane, mm-hmm. it starts getting a little funky. You know, they start having to think, how am I going to elevate to the perfect height, get a perfect circle, and then come back down when you're only building, what, a micron at a, at a time, 50 yeah. microns at a time? So it's it's pretty insane to think that just the orientation of a hole can make you a perfect circle or a perfect oval. Right. So, well, and that and that certainly comes into play because printing a printing a hole even mm-hmm. in the XY plane, yeah, is is certainly more natural for most printers, right? But it's still not accurate. No, and then when you're trying to print it layer by layer by layer, you have to do the support material, but you got to make support material that falls away. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, and of course the the. The gracious thing is that there's a lot of fantastic softwares out there that does does a lot of that for you. And honestly, even with machining, yeah, uh, not many people are writing G code nowadays. Or, no, they're they're going in their software and toolpathing it. Yeah, that's right. And so we're using we're using a lot of stuff. Well, so in 3D printing, we have slicers. S- slicers. That's right. Yeah, that that's the software that that utilizes and builds the layers and things of that nature. And so, and and that really comes down to the manufacturers. Yeah. A lot of different ones. Even with the hobby grade stuff, there's a lot of different ones out there. And there's some uh, you see them more so. I think with the hobby grade. And understand when I say hobby grade, I'm not putting hobby grade down. I'm just classifying no. it. It's not uh, usually it's less expensive. Yes. Um, usually the materials that it's going to utilize are the lower cost materials, but also the lower attribute rated materials yeah. such as PLA and things of that nature. It's it's something that's definitely aimed at people who are looking to have one in their home. You know, right. it's like I need to print one thing and this is a really cool thing and I may do engineering during the day and so I would like to do this at home. Mm-hmm. So that's it's not saying that you can't have wonderful prints on a home game printer. You can. Right. It's just that's what they're designed for. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that we've done. Yeah. Now at Elitech, uh, Elitech, uh, we made uh, a very uh, serious investment in mm-hmm. in three D printing about two two years. Started into it about two years ago, and so we have quite a few printers now. Mm-hmm. They print various materials. Uh, we started like a lot of people, uh, and this I don't know was my it was a benefit to me or my my mistake. I don't know, but uh, I started in PLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that seemed to be what was out there. And honestly, we've had probably pretty good luck with PLA. Yeah. And the way we've always used PLA is more for prototype. Mm-hmm. Uh, PLA is cheap. Uh, and then a lot of times the PLA printer is not being used. And so if you need to knock something out and you're not wanting to wait on the other printers, which are running, you know, we can do it in PLA. Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, we also have – we do uh, – uh, Kind of jumping ahead here, but we do some of the printed nylon, and we'll talk about some of those things that we offer in just a second. But as far as applications, some of the things that we've created, we've done a lot for customers for extra applications. And most of these were, I'd say all of these were 
nylon. Actually, let me get into the PLA first. Yeah. So for PLA, where do we use PLA a lot? Well, we do on our robotics, robotic systems and Cartesian robots, articulate arm scare robots, things of that nature. Uh, a lot of times we'll use PLA for, for a quick proof of concept. Yes. Uh, so uh, one of the things that we do for our customers is if they've got an application, they want to see if this will work, then we can 3D print gripper fingers, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Uh, and a lot of times we'll do that out of PLA because it's plenty strong enough usually, unless yes. we're trying to reach into an oven or something, but usually we wouldn't do that for a proof of concept. So usually it's it's just fine. Yes. It, it may not have the wear tendencies we want, but we're just looking for the shape and the, and the usability, and so we use PLA for that a lot. But as far as applications of what we've done for customers, and you've been part of some of this, yeah, we do a lot of part nest. And yes. so part hold down nest. So you stick a part in there, and it's going to support the part while you do some other operation to it. Uh, it may actually, according to everything subjective to your tolerances, it may actually act as a poke out yes. to make sure the right part goes in. Uh, and have sensors integrated into it to, to say, yes, it inserted fully or it didn't. And so it's the right part or the wrong part. We've done, like I said, end of arm tooling type items. Uh, out of, do a lot of that out of out of carbon reinforced nylon. And mm-hmm. then um, a lot of guarding, custom yes. guards. Uh, so you get some kind of weird shapey looking guard yeah. <laughs> that you need to block something from something hitting it or something like that. Maybe it'll damage one of our vision system cameras or or um, some type of sensor or, or, or something along those lines, that's, that's a quick and easy way to do that. Yeah, and the great thing about a 3D printed solution to that is if you have a model of what you need, you can make it fit exactly. It's almost like a mold fit, but you're not paying for a mold right. fit. That's right. That's right. And, and so the guarding, what else? Tool holders? Tool holders, <laughs> um, lots of jig pieces and part nests. Lots of harnesses and brackets, too, oh. for, for um, electrical harnesses and such. You know, and it's things that you don't really think about, but if you needed to make 50 of them, it would cost a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's pretty good for us. And the good thing about our resources is we have the high precision, carbon fiber nylon, high rigidity, really nice properties. And we have stuff on the PLA side, which, like you said, it's usually fine for proof of concepts, prototypes. And the good thing about those cheaper printers is they print fast. Mm-hmm. You know, you're sacrificing a little bit of accuracy, but you can have a prototype in a couple of hours and then you're done. All right. Well, and then the cost. So right. so that's the other thing. It's a lot easier for us to to justify the, the cost of a PLA prototype exactly. than it is to, to justify a carbon reinforced type type deal. And so so that said Beth always makes sure that that I that we talk about what we can offer, and this mm-hmm. is not, of course, this podcast is not meant to be a sales podcast. So this is not selling, mm-hmm. educational transference of information, and so Elitech does offer three D printing services. We do have uh, a number of of three D printers uh, in in our facility. Um, that are available for use, and so uh, the folks have asked us, how, "How do we do? How do we utilize that?" And so the easiest way is if you have a a solid model uh, or an STL or something like that that's ready for three D printing or needs to be converted, we can probably convert it, mm-hmm. um, even if it's coming from three D modeling software such as you know AutoCAD or uh, uh, SolidWorks. Inventor, SolidWorks, yeah, we've, we've got it all. We can get Fusion. it worked out. 
yeah, we can we can convert those file types over if we need to and, and make that happen. And then the second thing is we have an engineering group um, that can help uh, assist in designing. If you're trying to determine a design or, or as Matthew's pointed out, decide how can I make this stronger or work better in this application, that kind of thing. Uh, we can certainly, uh, we have those those services. But as far as the printing themselves, we talked mm-hmm. about PLA. We can print PLA. We print, uh, most everything else we print is nylon. Yes, very desirable characteristics in nylon for industrial applications. You know, we've got the carbon chop, carbon fiber reinforced, which we can get out to you really fast. We've also got continuous fiber fiberglass reinforced carbon nylon. And that's like... You know, that's going to be your rigid stuff. That's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the continuous carbon fiber. It's kind of like a tape layup system where you lay it out and mm-hmm. it's going to be rigid. Well, I think of it as fiberglass. Yeah. Uh, and so with fiberglass, if you've ever done fiberglass, of course, there's chopper gun and yep. then there's hand leg where we're doing the strips. But yep. you basically are putting resin down and then you're laying fiber down and then you're putting resin down and then you're mm-hmm. laying usually in a different different orientation you're laying fiber down those kind of things and you can get some really really strong things and this is that's what these systems do right uh by adding a layer of nylon and then adding a layer of either fiberglass or carbon uh the chopped the reason that the chopped carbon is faster Mm -hmm. and less expensive is because you're not having to do layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of each. It's an integrated filament. It's in, integrated into the, the, the material. That's right. And, you know, that's something that with continuous carbon, a lot of people like the continuous carbon fiber because it is it is a little more expensive than the fiberglass, but you have a lot lighter of a part and a lot stronger of a part at the end of the day. Sure. So that's something that's really beneficial. Well, and some of the other things that we're doing that, that maybe we'll make for another podcast one day that I'm really excited about. And so I was a slow adopter into 3D additive, yes. but now that we're in it, boy, the wheels start turning. And that's what I love about it is is uh, when we're setting in, when, when the engineers and you set with the engineers because mm-hmm. you're about to be one, the uh, when they're talking about things, somebody, inevitably somebody says, well, we could 3D print that. Right. And and then it's like a whole light bulb goes off. We see a whole new dimension and perspective. And so as those are beginning to grow, some of the things we're, we're starting to, to de- utilize is uh, one of the main things is spray-on finishes. Exactly. Um, that can take your surface quality. A lot of people have concerns about the surface finish on 3D printed parts. That can cure it all. Literally and figurative, we cure it on. Yeah. And then, uh, it, it really does make for a really beautiful part and something that, is going to work just fine to your tolerances. So. Yeah, and we, we refer to that as a Class A finish capability. Yeah. I mean, you can actually polish it Yes, uh, to to a very, very nice nice finish. So surface spray-on surface treatments are, are really nice. Uh, also, uh, they can increase temperature capability, so you mm-hmm. can take a material that's, that's not necessarily has a deformation temperature, and then by adding an, a spray-on uh, treatment to it, mm-hmm. uh, you're basically adding a layer of protection to that. And that can increase that temperature uh, capability. And then we have uh, not so as common yet, but we're doing. It's more of a thicker application of, of of coating. But once it's cured, we now have a machinable surface. Right now, that doesn't mean the whole part's machinable, but that means you have basically an inner skeleton, mm-hmm. which is the three D printed shape and then you apply this material to the outside and now all of a sudden that material once cured uh, allows us some level of machinability and so 
machine ability now gives us the ability to, to adjust and, and get us to flatness specifications, yes. angular specifications, things of that nature. And that it's very much stable. So those are some of the services. So, Matthew, mm-hmm. you seem to know a little bit about well, now, additive manufacturing. <laughs> uh, there is a whole world of it, and that's just a little bit. And don't take my word for it. Get out there and learn something for yourself because it's a lot of interesting stuff. And it's absolutely, it's growing by the day. So there's changes and new things that are coming out every single day. So, so what we'll do is uh, if you've got, I assume you've got some of your favorite reference sites, websites, and things of that nature that you look at. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm, I'm actually building my printer right now. You can find almost anything in the world on YouTube. I found somebody who's building a ground-up printer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called toms3d.com. You know, you can either look at that. FCMF, which is the Fibrous Composites Manufacturing Facility at UT. We work it all the time with Oak Ridge and their manufacturing demonstration facility. Mm-hmm. They're great resources. They're local and they're always willing to help. You know, there's people who get paid to get new ideas and try them out. So absolutely reach out to them, reach out to us. We can get you connected with stuff like that. And we would love to have, uh, have some new ideas coming in. Perfect. Well, listen, guys, I want to also do a a little shout out to Beth Elliott, even though she's absent today. We have, because of you, because of your faithfulness and following and subscribing and getting the word out about our podcast, which just started, this is our total of, I think, 10 episodes. The second episode of season two, we did eight episodes last last year, mm-hmm. but we have exceeded 500 downloads. Perfect. And so that's awesome. And so that 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 really I attribute that to you all, but also to Beth Elliott and her hard work. Thanks, Beth. You are fantastic. <laughs> so that said, let's go ahead and wrap up. Uh, the way to get in touch with us. The website is www.elitech.com. That's spelled E-L-L-I-T-E-K. Certainly pick up the phone and give us a call, 865-409-1555. We're in Knoxville, Tennessee, but we deal with customers all across the planet. So certainly uh, give us a call and let us, uh, as Beth said, throw a problem at us. There's comment fields. Fill those out as you uh, listen, as you stream. Thank you very much again for, for subscribing and for following us and for getting, helping us get the word out. Matthew, thank you very much, man. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. So let me see if I can do this. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Stuckey. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, guys, uh, thanks for uh, joining us today. I hope you got a lot out of this 3D manufacturing, industrial automation. It doesn't have to be machined. It doesn't. We look forward to the next uh, next podcast. So we'll see you then. Take care.